0: Genesis 45. We're going to actually cover um, Genesis 45. We're going to read that and we're going to read uh, into Genesis 46. All right. Genesis 45. Let's read together, beginning in verse 1. Then Joseph could not restrain himself before all those who stood by him, and he cried out, Make everyone go out from me. So no one stood with him while Joseph made himself known to his brothers. And he wept aloud, and the Egyptians in the house of Pharaoh heard it. Then Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph. Does my father still live? But his brothers could not answer him, for they were dismayed in his presence. And Joseph said to his brothers, please come near to me. So they came near. Then he said, I am Joseph, your brother whom you sold into Egypt. But now do not therefore be grieved or angry with yourselves because you sold me here. For God sent me before you to preserve life. For these two years the famine has been in the land, and there are still five years in which there will be neither plowing nor harvesting. And by that calculation, Joseph is now 39 years old. It's been 22 years since his brother sold him into slavery. And God sent me before you to preserve posterity for you in the earth and to save your lives by a great deliverance. So now it was not you who sent me here, but God. And he has made me a father to Pharaoh and Lord of all his house and a ruler throughout all the land of Egypt. Hurry and go up to my father and say to him, Thus says your son Joseph, God has made me Lord of all Egypt. Come down to me and do not tarry. You shall dwell in the land of Goshen, and you shall be near to me, you and your children, your children's children, your flocks, and your herds, and all that you have. There I will provide for you, lest you and your household and all that you have come to poverty, for there are still five years of famine. And behold, your eyes and the eyes of my brother Benjamin see that it is my mouth that speaks to you. So you shall tell my father of all my glory in Egypt and of all that you have seen, and you shall hurry and bring my father down here. Then he fell on his brother Benjamin's neck and wept, and Benjamin wept on his neck. Moreover, he kissed all his brothers and wept over them, and after that his brothers talked with him. Now the report of it was heard in Pharaoh's house, saying, Joseph's brothers have come. So it pleased Pharaoh and his servants well. And Pharaoh said to Joseph, say to your brothers, do this, load your animals and depart. go to the land of Canaan, bring your father and your households and come to me, and I will give you the best of the land of Egypt, and you will eat the fat of the land. Now you are commanded, do this. Take carts out of the land of Egypt for your little ones and your wives, and bring your father and come. Also do not be concerned about your goods, for the best of all the land of Egypt is yours. Then the sons of Israel did so, and Joseph gave them carts according to the command of Pharaoh, and he gave them provisions for the journey, and he gave to all of them To each man changes of garments, but to Benjamin he gave three hundred pieces of silver and five changes of garments. And he sent to his father these things, ten donkeys loaded with good things of Egypt and ten female donkeys loaded with grain, bread, and food for his father for the journey. So he sent his brothers away and they departed. And he said to them, see that you do not become troubled along the way. Then they went up out of Egypt and came to the land of Canaan to Jacob, their father. And they told him, saying, Joseph is still alive, and he is governor over all the land of Egypt. And Jacob's heart stood still, because he did not believe them. But when they told him all the words that Joseph had said to them, and when he saw the carts which Joseph had sent to carry him, the spirit of Jacob, their father, revived. Then Israel said, It is enough. Joseph, my son, is still alive. I will go and see him before I die. Chapter 46. So Israel took his journey with all that he had and came to Beersheba and offered sacrifices to the God of his father Isaac. Then God spoke to Israel in the visions of the night and said, Jacob, Jacob. And he said, Here I am. So he said, I am God, the God of your father. Do not fear to go down to Egypt for I will make you a great nation there and I will go down with you to Egypt and I will be surely and I will also surely bring you up again and Joseph will put his hand upon your eyes then Jacob rose from Beersheba and the sons of Israel carried their father Jacob their little ones and their wives in the carts which Pharaoh had sent to them and so they took their livestock and their goods which they had acquired in the land of Canaan and went to Egypt Jacob and all his descendants with him, his sons and his sons' sons, his daughters and his sons' daughters, and all his descendants he brought with him to Egypt. Father in heaven, we ask that you would, by the power of your Spirit, open our hearts and open our minds to your word and reveal Christ to us. Reveal your gospel to us, Father, from your Holy Scripture change us and transform us and renew us, Lord, that we would be conformed to the very image of your glorious Son. In Jesus' name, amen. So Joseph says to his brothers what we've summed up throughout this series on Joseph, Genesis fifty twenty. but as for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good in order to bring it about as it is this day, to save many people. So when Joseph sees his brothers, and finally, the day comes when Joseph is able to reveal himself to his brothers. His brothers are dismayed. They're fearful. They can't believe this is the same Joseph that they sold into slavery. But Joseph reassures them, he calms their fears. he comforts them. It's very similar to what happens when people encounter God, when men fall as though they are dead and God says, fear not. Jesus said that to John when, John, when he had the vision on the Isle of Patmos and he fell as though he were dead and Christ came to him and, and said, fear not. Or Daniel, when he was touched, And he fell to the ground and he bowed down as one dead. And the angel of the Lord came to him and touched him, the man in the vision. And he said, fear not. And Joseph, as a picture of Christ, says to his brothers, fear not. You did not send me here, but God sent you. God sent me here because of you, for you, for your own salvation. So we see that now Joseph reveals himself to his brothers. He sends his brothers back to get Jacob or to get Israel and to bring Israel into the land of Egypt. And this is exactly what happens. So Israel was brought into the land of Egypt. The Bible says there were 70 members of his household that came. 400 years later, we're going to see Moses lead millions out of the land of Egypt and truly the word of the Lord to Jacob was don't be afraid to go down to Egypt because I will make you a great nation there and that is exactly what God did so Israel is brought into the land of Egypt as sojourners and pilgrims for their salvation for their deliverance and Egypt became their habitation But I want you to understand that though Egypt became their habitation, Egypt was not their home. They still had a promised land that God would one day take them back to, would lead them back into. And they came into Egypt as pilgrims, as sojourners. And this is exactly who we are. The Bible says that we're pilgrims, we're on a journey, we're sojourners in this land. This is where we live, but this is not our home. Heaven is our home, which is to say Christ is our home. The Bible is very clear that one day we will rule and reign with God on this earth. A lot of Christians, I think, have this misconception that we're going to die, we're going to go to heaven, and we're going to spend eternity floating around in heaven. But the reality is, if you read the scripture very plainly, You get to the book of Revelation, and it's very clear what's going to happen. Heaven is coming to earth. Heaven and earth will collide. Heaven and earth will become one, and we will rule and we will reign with the Lord Jesus on this earth. It's called a new heaven and a new earth, but it's this earth that God has created. We will live with him here. We will rule with him here. We will reign with him here. We're not going to be floating up in the clouds for all eternity. We're going to be right here on the earth. But even though we're going to be on the earth, I want you to understand this. Christ is our home because Christ is our life. In him, we live and move and have our being. This is what Paul says in Acts 17, 28. Or he writes in Philippians 3 verses 20 and 21, for our citizenship is in heaven from which we also eagerly wait for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ who will transform our lowly body that it may be conformed to his glorious body according to the working by which he is able even to subdue all things to himself. We are waiting for the Savior. He's coming back here. When he comes back, he will transform everything. He'll transform, the Bible says, your lowly body into a glorious body conformed to the very image of the Son of Glory. So Christ, the true Israel, left his home to go to a foreign land to bring about a great salvation and establish a great nation, a holy nation, a royal priesthood, this holy nation that is his very own special treasure. This is what First Peter 2.9 teaches us. So we see Joseph, we see Jacob, we see these patriarchs as a, as, a, as a type of Christ who left their home and go to a foreign land. Christ left the glory of heaven and came to earth to bring about a great salvation. So the promise God made to Jacob is, I will make you a great nation. So when Jacob, when the sons get back and they finally convince Jacob, after Jacob gets over his shock that Joseph is still alive after 22 years of believing that he was dead, when he gets over his shock, he packs up everything he owns. He packs up his family, he packs up his household, he packs him up in the carts that came from Egypt and he makes his journey to Egypt and he stops in Beersheba and he offers a sacrifice to God there. And while he was there in Beersheba, the Lord appeared to Israel in a vision. It says, then God spoke to Israel in the visions of the night and said, Jacob, Jacob. And he said, here I am. And so he said, I am God, the God of your father. Do not fear to go down to Egypt for I will make you and you, I will make of you a great nation there. I will make of you a great nation there. Do you realize that God could have made Israel, he could have made Jacob a great nation anywhere. Jacob could have stayed in the promised land and God could have made him a great nation in the promised land, but but that's not what God did. God chose to make Israel a great nation in Egypt. God could have made Israel a great nation in any way that he wanted He could have caused Israel to rise up and to overthrow the Egyptians and take that whole kingdom, that whole empire over. But that's not what God chose to do. Instead, God led a household of 70 and and turned them into a nation of millions. And he enslaved them. He didn't make them rulers in Egypt. He made them slaves in Egypt. That's pretty Strange, isn't it? I think God's gonna make God. Here's the promise God gives to Jacob. Jacob, Jacob, don't be afraid to go down to Egypt. And and notice this when when it says when God says to Jacob, he says, "Now therefore, when I verse t- verse thirty, now therefore, when I come to your servant, my father, and the land, um, I'm sorry. Oh, I'm in the wrong place." Let me get to the right chapter here. Notice that when God says to Jacob, it's in actually uh, Genesis 46, 4, I will go down with you. So God's not just sending Jacob by himself. God says, go down to Egypt. Don't be afraid to go down. I am going down with you. God doesn't send you anywhere that he is not going to be with you. Because he is the God who will never leave you and never forsake you. That's his promise. And so God sends Jacob to Egypt. And he says, I will also surely, I will be with you. And then he says this, I will also surely bring you up again. Do you see the picture of the resurrected Christ? The father sends Jesus to the earth. He takes on human flesh. He humbles himself and is obedient even to the point of death, even death on the cross. And because he humbled himself, because of his willing obedience, the scripture says God has also given him the name that is above every other name. And God says to Jacob, don't be afraid to go down to Egypt. I will be with you and I will surely bring you up again. God says to his son, don't be afraid to go to the earth to become a man to die on a cross because i will surely bring you up again this is why we serve not a dead savior but a living savior we serve not a savior entombed in a grave we serve a savior that's been resurrected from the grave and this is the same hope that god gives to us this is what paul talked about when he says we look for we wait for the savior who's coming from heaven who will cause our bodies to become glorious who will transform our lowly bodies that they may be conformed to his glorious body and then he says this to Jacob I will be with you I will surely bring you up again and Joseph will put his hand on your eyes. In other words, you'll die there, Jacob. Don't be afraid to go to Egypt and don't be afraid to die there. I will surely bring you up again. And that is true in every sense of the word. Yes, they carried uh, Jacob back to the promised land and they buried Jacob in the promised land when Jacob Uh, died. And we see all Egypt went in the funeral procession. All Egypt and Pharaoh went to the funeral and honored Jacob. But when God says to Jacob, don't be afraid, I'm with you and I will surely bring you up again. He wasn't just talking about having his bones, his, his embalmed body carried back and entombed in the promised land. He's talking about resurrection there. God is telling Jacob, something. He's giving Jacob a promise much, much greater than you'll get to be buried in the promised land. He's giving a Jake, Jacob a promise that when you go down, be sure that I will bring you back up. He's given the same promise to us. And we know the promise is real because Christ went into the grave, but Christ didn't stay in the grave. Christ came up from the grave. Do you see the picture, the beautiful picture and the power of the resurrection that God is showing us? Do you see the gospel that fills the pages of scripture in the story that God's written through the lives of his patriarchs of men and women of old throughout the pages of scripture, page after page, life after life, story after story, circumstance after circumstance, God is reassuring us that he is the God who has power over death itself. He is the God that will go down with us and he is the same God that will surely bring us up. And so he says, I will make you a great nation. And so God sends Jacob, God sends Israel to Egypt to make them a great nation. And he did it in a very strange way. He did it in a way that you and I would never have done it. He didn't use power and might. He didn't use military force. He didn't use uh, chariots and horses, great weapons, great strength. He took Israel to Egypt, and they had the the height of favor of Pharaoh and Pharaoh's court. And before too long, they go from the heights of favor to the very bottom of society, enslaved under harsh taskmasters. They are the lowest of the low. They are an abomination in the very sight of the Egyptians. But yet this is God's definition of a great nation. Strange, isn't it? It's not what we think of as a great nation. Because we put our trust in horses and chariots. We think because we've got better tanks and more ships and better guns and better armies and more money, And more power and more influence, we're a great nation. But God says that's not where greatness is. And if you think that's great, just go through the pages of history and see the nations even greater than this nation who have fallen in their power and in their might. Because God raises them up and God brings them down. And Jesus was very clear when he talked to his disciples and he says, don't have a Gentile mentality. Don't have the mentality of the nations who think that position and power come from being first. That's not the way of the kingdom. If you want to be great in the kingdom, he said, become the servant of all. If you want to be first in the kingdom, he said, then become the slave of all. So when God told Jacob, Don't be fearful, Jacob. Go down to Egypt. I go down with you and I will surely bring you back. I will make you a great nation. I don't think Jacob understood exactly what was going to transpire, but Jacob trusted God. God will send you to unlikely places to do unlikely things in unlikely ways. His ways are not our ways, and his thoughts are not our thoughts. They are unlike ours. Have you ever noticed that? Have you ever noticed that God doesn't always do things the way you would? Have you ever noticed that God's timing is usually not at all like your timing? I I don't know. I've noticed that a lot in my life. But his unlikely thoughts and his unlikely ways are always leading to our good and his glory. So as Isaiah writes this in Isaiah 55, 9, For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. We don't have to look any farther than the story of Joseph to see this. You and I both know Jacob would have never let Joseph leave the house that day had he known he would not see him again for 22 years. Much less spend 22 years thinking his son was dead. If God revealed to you and I the things that are in our future, the things that we'll encounter, the things that we'll have to endure and go through, we'd probably lock ourselves in our homes and never come out. Or, we would just say, uh, that can't be God, therefore there must not be a God. Because surely God would not do that. Surely God wouldn't enslave an entire nation to make them great. Why would he do that? Surely God wouldn't send a little 17-year-old boy out to check on the sheep and let his father believe he was dead for 22 years. Surely God wouldn't do that, but that's exactly what God did. Surely God wouldn't let m- brothers with murderous intent throw this 17-year-old boy into a pit with the intent of leaving him there until he died, just so that they could say that we didn't take his life. But yet that's exactly what God did. And God didn't forewarn anyone that's what he was going to do because who was he going to tell? Who would have believed that story? (laughs) Who would have believed that? Who Who would have endured that? I mean, how many... He didn't even tell Joseph. He just gave Joseph a dream. He gave Joseph a dream, but... But it took 13 years for Joseph to realize... The purpose of that dream. After 13 years, Joseph wasn't even thinking about the dream. It was forgotten to him until one day, boom, God brings it to his remembrance because right there are his brothers bowing down at his feet and Joseph remembers the dream. Wow, I dreamed this. Deja vu. No, I don't think so. The divine plan and purpose of God wasn't deja vu. It was God. Wow. This is my dream. Except Joseph had become a very wise man. You know why Joseph became a wise man? Because Joseph never gave up on his faith. Because Joseph never trust, stopped trusting in God. Because Joseph never stopped honoring and glorifying God. Joseph may have forgotten the toil of his, and the pain of his, of his home. He may have thought that, that he had come to have a new life, a new identity in Egypt. He, he thought, no doubt, that he would never experience those things again. Those people, that life, gone, done with. I've got a new life. I'm a new man. I'm a new person. There is the picture of the new creation in Christ. But yet, just like you and I, God didn't forget Joseph's past, and God used Joseph's past to bring about the eternal plan and purpose of God. Just the same way God uses your past, even after you become a new creation in Christ, God uses your past even, even the painful things of your past. God uses that. Whether you realize how he's doing it, God uses that to bring about his eternal purpose in Christ and to bring glory To his name. So just when you think anything but greatness is happening, think again. Turn your eyes and turn your heart to God and trust in the sovereign Lord who knows how to secure our victory when it looks like defeat is imminent. Don't you think death seemed pretty imminent to little Joseph, crying out from the bottom of that pit while his brothers sat and ate lunch and were deaf to his cries? It looked pretty hopeless. You think Joseph in the bottom of that pit crying, screaming for mercy, unbelieving that his brothers are doing this to him, do you think Joseph at the bottom of the pit suddenly says, oh, wait a minute. You know, I have a feeling that God's gonna make me second in command in Egypt one day, probably about 13 years from now. So I'm cool. No, I don't think Joseph did that. I think for Joseph in the bottom of that pit, screaming and crying for mercy while his brothers just ate their lunch, I think Joseph thought, this is it, I'm a dead man. They're really gonna leave me here. They are going to, no wait, they're pulling me out of the pit. Oh, it was a joke. It was a cruel, cruel joke. No, it wasn't a joke. They just decided to make some money off of you instead of let you rot in the bottom of that pit. They sell you into slavery into Egypt. And who knows if Joseph thought that was a worse fate or not. But I can promise you, Joseph didn't see where he would be in 13 years. Just like you and I can't see where we're going to be. Not, not just in 13 years, you can't see where you're going to be in 13 months, 13 days, or 13 minutes, or 13 seconds. God's strategy always results in victory, even when it seems to be disguised in defeat. Israel would remain in Egypt over 400 years, and by the time God is ready to lead them back into the promised land, Israel seems to be resigned to a life of slavery and mere survival. God had other plans, not just for their survival, but for true victory, for their true deliverance and their true salvation because salvation is not just our survival it is our life Christ is not our survival he is our life because God's ways are higher than our ways and his thoughts are higher than our thoughts so you need to know this and you need to trust accordingly that God has a purpose in all things And God has a plan in all things. God has a time in all things. God has secured our victory in all things. And most importantly, God has secured His glory in all things. And you might wonder, why is God securing His glory the most important? I promise you, it is the most important Because at the end of the day, at the end of everything, the ultimate purpose of everything is His glory. Remember, God doesn't exist for you. You exist for God. You didn't create God. I know atheists like to believe that we did, but trust me, we didn't. God created us. God's glory is eminently important. So I want to draw your attention to the glory of God in discussing these things. We like to talk about God's purpose and God's plan and God's time. And we certainly like to talk about our victory. But let's talk a moment about God's glory. The glory of God is eminently important in all our understanding of his ways, his purpose, his plan, his time, his victory. If God has not secured his glory in all things, then God has secured nothing. I'm going to say that again to you. If God has not secured his glory in all things, then he has secured nothing. Everything's up for grabs, in other words. We live in a cosmic crapshoot. And we have no certainty Certainly no knowledge of what's going to happen from one moment to the next. It's all cosmic coincidence. It's all cosmic luck. It's all what a lot of people like to say, karma. Well, well what in the heck is karma? I don't, I don't know what it is either. It's something mythological. No, it's not karma that rules the universe. It's God who rules the universe. There's no cosmic coincidence. There is only divine appointment. There's only divine order. If God is not ruling and reigning as sovereign over all things, then we are subject to the whims of chance, subject to the whims of our enemy and the whims of man. If Jesus is not Lord of all, then he is not Lord at all period. But if we know better, and I hope and I pray that you do, and we know that God is ultimately ruling and reigning over all, we have reason to hope, we have reason to trust, we have reason to rejoice, even in the face of our deepest darkness. The reality of a sovereign God ruling and reigning over all creation gives us reason to love. It gives us reason to forgive. It gives us reason to unite. Instead of each one doing what is right in his own eyes, we seek to lay down our life for, for our own good, for the good of the brethren, and most importantly, for the glory of God. This is exactly what we see in Joseph's life. It's what we see in the lives of all the patriarchs. This is why God gave us the Bible. It's why God created us. It's why God gave Joseph the life he gave him. It's why he gave Abraham the life he gave him, why he gave Isaac the life he gave him, why he gave Jacob, why he gave Moses, why he gave Noah, why he gave Adam. I mean, it's why Jesus came. It's, it's why everything in the Scriptures is recorded for us because through the lives, through the story of, that God is writing in all of creation, we see these same themes running throughout the pages, throughout the storylines of whatever character you want to pick. Pick, we see the same themes. We just happen to be on Joseph right now. But think about this. Joseph worked for reconciliation instead of revenge. Joseph knew the eternal purpose of God through the unity of the brethren was infinitely more important than any sinful, self-centered desire he may have been tempted with. You think Joseph might have thought about revenge? I'm sure he did. But I think it was no doubt a fleeting thought. Because we see no evidence that Joseph ever sought in any way, and even in any small way, to get revenge on his brothers. He said, well, he pulled some pretty cruel tricks on them. No, those weren't cruel tricks. Joseph, in his wisdom, understood what it was going to take to bring those brothers to a place where he could finally reveal himself to them. The same way Christ knows what needs to happen in your life to finally bring you to a place where He can reveal Himself to you. Don't think that's not true because that is absolutely true. And it's why we see God working in the lives of these men and women throughout the pages of Scripture the way He does. Joseph let love empower him instead of allowing bitterness to harden him. Even before Joseph saw his brothers again, Joseph let go. He didn't hold on to bitterness. That's why he named his sons what he did. Manasseh, God has made me forget the pain and the toil of my father's house. Joseph was not a man clinging to his bitterness When he came to power in Egypt, it wasn't in his mind to go hunt down his brothers and extract revenge. That would make a great movie, right? That's a movie we all want to go see. Oh man, the guy that tracks down—you know, this is—it's it's, kind of like you know, this is this is a common theme of these movies. You know, it's like Taken Seven or Taken Eight. I mean, which what are we up to right now? You know, I mean, you just the guy—you're going to go and extract revenge on these guys. You know that that done this horrible, cruel thing to my family. But that's not what we see in Joseph. Joseph let go of his bitterness. He let go. Uh, he didn't have bitterness. He didn't have unforgiveness. He let it go, and he said, I, I've got a new life and a new identity. I'm going to live in it. And I'm going to trust God. So he, he let love empower him. Never forget that bitterness hardens us, but love empowers us. Joseph upheld the banner of God's glory in all that he did when he chose love and unity over bitterness and division. Even when he saw his brothers, he chose love and unity over bitterness and division. We are given the privilege to do the same by God's grace through our own life and our own stories. You have a life and you have a story that you're living out right now. What is it that you're embracing in your life and in your story? Are you hanging on to bitterness? Are you allowing love to empower you? God has a purpose in all things. God has an eternal purpose that's working through all things, even the sinful heart of men. God worked His purpose through the sinful hearts of Joseph's brothers who sold him into slavery. God's eternal purpose is our salvation for his glory in Christ. We have an enemy and the enemy's purpose is our destruction in an attempt to tarnish God's glory. Here is good news. The enemy is defeated and he cannot defeat God's eternal purpose, not even In small ways. He cannot defeat the eternal purpose of God in any measure, small or great. Joseph's brothers were motivated by sinful, self-centered hatred. Self-promotion. Jealousy. You could go down a list of the works of the flesh that these men were motivated by. Sin was introduced to mankind in the form of temptation in the garden, and man bit. And although it was the devil that introduced the temptation, man had the power to say no to sin, but he didn't, just like we very often do not. But here's what I want you to see. It was God that ultimately had an eternal purpose and plan that he was working through both the serpent and the man. God's eternal purpose and plan is the eternal salvation of mankind for the eternal glory of God in Christ. That was the eternal purpose even in the beginning, even in the garden. We see this when God says, To the serpent, I'll put enmity between your seed and the seed of the woman. And you will bruise his heel, but he will crush your head. And there in Genesis 3.15 is the prophetic utterance of God who spoke of the Savior that would come one day and finally put underfoot the serpent, the devil of old. For this reason, the Son of God was manifest to destroy the works of the evil one. This is what John writes to us in his first epistle. God, not man, and certainly not the enemy, is given center stage. We too often put man or we put the devil in center stage, and that's not where man or the devil, either one, should be the devil can 't make you do anything he can 't make you do anything he only has the power to suggest it 's your own sinful lust and desires that draw you away. The Bible tells us in james it 's god that 's given center stage. The devil is never mentioned in joseph 's story, but we know that he 's there lurking in dark places and flaming and tempting hatred and murder and deceit and revenge. That are present in the hard hearts of sinful men. These are the very same temptations that we're faced with constantly. The enemy and our own sinful desires constantly tempting us through the hardness of our hearts. But by His grace, we have the power to flee temptation and to escape. By His grace, we can know that in and through all things, He has a plan and He has a time to bring about His eternal purpose. And we can know that our victory and His glory are both safe and secure in Christ. The evil intent of God's enemies and the sinful intent of man's of man simply become avenues that God works through to make known his goodness and his glory. The hard, sinful hearts of Joseph's brothers simply was an avenue that God worked through to make known his goodness and his glory in saving a posterity. Remember, I remind you always, the greatest example of this is in Jesus. When God, through the avenue of men's sinful hearts, who murdered the very Son of God, God took that evil intent of men's heart, and he turned it into the greatest salvation ever brought. God uses all things for and to his glory and has made us a centerpiece in his eternal plan and purpose in Christ. Christ is the crowning glory and radiating beauty that is central to all of God's eternal purpose and this is why throughout all of the scripture God fashions types and shadows and graphic portrayals of Christ in all that he has recorded for us in the scripture. And by the grace of God we have been brought into this story into the very midst of this glorious plan and eternal purpose of God. We've been brought in by the grace of God and by grace through faith we are supplied with the fullness of his love, the fullness of his joy, the fullness of his peace and all that he has freely given to us through the fullness of his spirit in Christ God is purposed in all things our good and his glory don't forget his glory. Don't despise the place God has you right now. Because wherever God has you right now, God is working out his glory. Wherever God has you right now, God will be glorified. Trust him. Look to him. Even when you don't understand. Even when you can see nothing but darkness. Imagine, Joseph, how dark his days were so Often, But he didn't lose faith in God because he knew that God was doing something even when he didn't know what God was doing. We should know that God is doing something even when we cannot know what God is doing because out of God and out of his eternal purpose, all things flow. I want you to think about this. We are so prone to see small, to think small, to believe small, to live small. And if you are not prone in that way, I want to confess to you today that I am. It's very easy for me to become small minded. It's very easy for my vision and my sight to become small, for my faith to become small. It's easy for me to become overwhelmed with my circumstances and my circumstances magnified. But that's not what God wants us to do. God never wants our circumstances to be magnified. God wants his name. He wants to be magnified. And so we always have a choice whether we're going to magnify our circumstances or whether we're going to magnify God in our circumstances. God is so much bigger than we can know. I watched this presentation uh, about the universe, and and it was designed to show us how insignificant we are in the universe. And it started with our own planet. And, And it went out from there to galaxies, known galaxies. And I can't do it justice, but just let me tell you this. The universe is so ginormous. We are like, we're like something in it that needs to be seen under an electron microscope. That's how big the universe is. Anybody ever play one of these? I dug this up outside. It was in the dirt. It evolved. It just, it just was laying there for billions and billions of years and it evolved into a tambourine. It's amazing, isn't it? I mean, there's probably some more out there, you know. Y'all believe that? Why not? Why don't you believe this tambourine evolved? Do you, do you? Did you see someone make it? Did you see someone make it? Do you know the name of the person who made it? Do you know where it was made? Probably so. But you don't have any doubt in your mind about whether this tambourine was created or whether it evolved. Yet, I would say this is a pretty simplistic little piece of plastic and jingly metal. It's not real complicated. I feel pretty certain that I can make one of these. And I'm not... I'm not the most handy, creative person around. Yet we look at this very simplistic little thing we call a tambourine, and we we have no doubt in our mind that it was made, but yet we look at the stars at night in our ginormous galaxy called the Milky Way, which is just a microscopic speck in the rest of the universe. And we, we... We know because science has taught us that if planet Earth was positioned any other place than where it is, even within our own solar system, we couldn't exist, we couldn't live. And we know because science has taught us that that everything moves with such precision. there's, There's no precision parts here moving in timing. It's just a tambourine. Yet, you you don't have any doubt that someone made this. Yet, there's people, maybe people in this room who go outside and look up in the sky and just think, oh, this just happened by accident. Isn't it amazing? I don't call that amazing. I call that pretty foolish. Because if we can believe someone made something that that is that, is, that simplistic, and we go out and we look at the The sun, the moon, and the stars, and we look at the creation, just think about what it takes for a tree to be a tree, or a caterpillar to be a caterpillar, or for you to be you. And we want to say that happened by accident? That 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 evolved from some whatever? Are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? You might as well believe that I dug that tambourine up out of the ground and it evolved by all the chemicals and things coming together because it would be much easier for that to evolve than for you or any other life form you can think of to evolve. No, you didn't evolve. No, the universe didn't just happen. It was created. And it is so much bigger than any one of us can. You can't imagine how big the universe is. I'm telling you what, you In your human brain, you cannot imagine how infinitely large the universe is. And you know how it got there? God created it. And if the universe is that infinitely big, let me ask you, Christian, how much more infinitely big is the God who created it? that god who created the infinitely large universe in all of its complexity and put us on a little bitty speck in just the right position in this infinitely large creation is the same god who rules and reigns over your life who is ordering your situations and your circumstances And we doubt him and we fear because we can't know the future. Because we can't control what's going to happen. And he doesn't want you to know. And he doesn't want you to be able to control because he's not going to share his position of Lord and creator with anybody. You say, well, that's pretty... You know, that's pretty unChristlike like of God. No, it's not. It's not at all. He has every right because he is the one true Lord. He is the creator. He is the one to whom all glory flows to and flows from. The glory doesn't belong to you. The glory doesn't belong to me. The glory belongs to him. He shares in his benevolence, in his grace, and in his mercy, he shares his glory with us. He's brought us into his glory in Christ. He has shared his glory with us out of his goodness, not because we deserve it, because we deserve none of his glory. God is so much bigger, so much more powerful, so much more glorious than we could ever imagine. And whatever attribute of God, whether it's love, joy, peace, holiness, righteousness, justice, power, majesty, whatever word, whatever thing you can think of, whatever it is, God is that in a measure that is infinitely greater than we could ever think or imagine. And out of his glory, Out of the glory of God, out of his eternal purpose and counsel, all things flow. The creation flowed from this. The power and principalities in the heavenly places, they were created and they flowed from that eternal purpose of God. Yes, even Satan himself flowed from the eternal purpose of God. He is a creation subject to his creator, just like every other part of the creation is subject to the creator. Man came out of this. And so all things flow from his eternal purpose and glory. The plans of God, the times and the seasons of God, those plans and those purposes, our victory and his glory flow from and back into him in all things. Glory flows from him. Glory flows back to him. Glory never flows from him that does not return to him. That's why I can safely say in heaven and in hell, the righteous and the wicked will both give glory to God eternally. They will. And this is why, this is why we can rest and trust in His truth. That God has a purpose in all things. He has a plan in all things. He has a time in all things. He has secured our victory in all things, and He has secured His glory in all things. He is called the Great I Am. Moses said, uh, "Well, one thing, God. Who, who, who do I tell him? Send me. I am." Uh, could you be a little more specific? That's kind of vague. You are what I am. Yeah, I got that. But like, can you, you know, I'm trying to wrap my brain around this and, you know, I am just kind of open-ended. I mean, you are what I am. Uh, You're not helping me, God. Do you realize if God put anything after I am, it would limit him? He is limitless. He is infinite. You, You can't put anything after that. He is. I am. That's what he said. I am that I am. I am is his name. For there is no name or no way that can describe him in his fullness. I am and nothing more is needed in reference to who he is. He is eternal. He is infinite. He is without beginning. He is without end. He is He is more glorious, more powerful, more holy, more sovereign, and more than you or I could ever know. This is our God. This is our Redeemer. This is our Savior. Why do you fear, Christian? Why do you fear? He is greater than all. He is. So fear not. Be of good courage. For our our God reigns. Amen? Let's stand. Joseph came to know that God was reigning and ruling in all of his life, in all of his circumstances. God preserved the story of this man, of his father, of his brothers, And so many more so that you today could know that God reigns. God gave you eyes to see the heavens. Ears to hear the birds and the wind and the waves. So that you would know he reigns. The question is, do you have eyes to see and do you have ears to hear? Or have you been like those who Peter says willfully forgot you didn't just forget. You don't just forget because you have reminders around you. You willfully forget. And the Bible calls us to repent of that sin of willful forgetfulness that by the heavens, by the Word of God, the heavens were established, they were created. Let us pray. Father, give us grace to see Grace to see you. Grace to hear you. Heal our blind eyes. Deliver us from our small vision and our little faith. Grant us a greater faith, a more clear vision, and magnify your name so that we and others may truly see The greater one that dwells within us. Even as John said, Greater is he who is in us than he who is in the world. Father, we ask, we pray that you would do this by the power of your Spirit, that you would do this for your glory. Here's my challenge to you, church that you would ask God to heal you of blindness of small vision that you would seek to see, that you would see and that you would see bigger, that you would live and you would live bigger. God is far greater than we know. He's working a salvation that is far greater than we can see. Trust that God has a purpose, a plan, a time, and that he has secured your victory and his glory in all things, even the things that you're walking through right now, even the things you may be struggling with right now, even though your life may seem great right now, don't forget God rules and God reigns. And if you are enjoying the sunshine of a beautiful life right now, then give God the glory for it. If you are walking through the valley of the shadow of death, give God Glory because he knows how to lead you out of darkness and into light. We know that because he has done this over and over and over. But most importantly, we know because he sent his son and his son came and he raised him up. And he sits exalted at the right hand of majesty on high ever, ever, ever to make intercession for you. I challenge you to believe that, to look to that to live that to His glory. Amen.